6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Uh, well, 75 million years ago in Alberta, massive plant-eating dinosaurs coexisted on a narrow strip of land. Apparently, many of them had a, a pretty restricted range. They didn't travel that far in their lifetime. And that's contrary to the plant-eating animals of today, which often have ranges that span thousands of kilometers. So why did they stick to just one area, and how do we know this? Well, Carleton University's Dr. Thomas Cullen has been researching this, joins us this afternoon. Thomas, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Jalen. It's nice to be here. All right, so first off... Why did you decide to look into this? <laughs> yeah, so um, my research um, for the last number of years has been looking at how ecosystems functioned back in, in times like 75 million years ago when dinosaurs were around. And part of the reason we're doing this is to try and understand um, how ecosystem structure is different back then versus today because back then, you know, climates were much warmer, sea levels were a lot, a lot higher, and we're hoping that some of the ecological function back then if it was different, that understanding how it was different can help us think about things for the future as our own planet warms. So how, how were you able to figure out where the plants were or where the, the dinosaurs were going and what they were eating at that time? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So as paleontologists, what we mostly use are fossils for looking at these sort of things. And we look at the anatomy and we look where the fossils are found in the rocks but that can only give us so much information. So for this project, what I used was geochemistry. So that's looking at the chemistry inside the preserved fossil bones and teeth and looking at how it varies because that can tell us sort of roughly where the animal is moving around in its environment, uh, what it was eating, um, and aspects of its physiology. So you're able to tell what they were eating and kind of track maybe the area based on, 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 on the chemical makeup that's still left in, in the fossils of the teeth. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Amazing. And it works the, it works the same way in living animals too. As you're as you're growing and you're growing new tissues, uh, new skin, new fingernails, um, tooth enamel and stuff when you're first growing your teeth those sort of raw materials that you're bringing into your body are going to be, this chemical signature of them will be partly recorded in those tissues. And we can use, you know, experiments today to figure out how that tracks different things like differences in diet or differences in movement or differences in environment. And it works the same way in animals that are now fossils. So you found that these um, plant-eating dinosaurs kind of stuck to their own area. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's it's actually a tough question. So part of the... The reason we looked at that specific component of it, of what the big herbivores were doing, was because at this time we have many different species of, as you said in the intro there, sort of really large rhino to elephant sized animals coexisting in this uh, broad coastal plain. But um, where we find the fossils suggests that they were pretty restricted in, in, in where they're found and where they lived. And in the past, people have, have hypothesized that that was because they were very sensitive to their environment. So unlike some animals that are living today, these things maybe were very particular about certain habitats or certain temperature regimes, and we wanted to test that. And so we used, in this case, a particular isotope with strontium because that tells you a bit about um, where things are living and it reflects some of the local bedrock. And so if you only have strontium isotope signatures in your tissues that are, look just like the area you're found in, then that probably means you aren't moving very far from there. But if you have 
averages or values that are an average of multiple different areas over a pretty broad area, that can tell you that you're moving around a lot. And in our case, we saw that two of the big groups of her, uh, plant-eating dinosaurs, the, the horned dinosaurs, the ceratopsians, yeah. and the armored dinosaurs, the ankylosaurs, these animals have signatures that suggest they were just staying in a local area, not moving a whole lot, whereas the big duck-billed dinosaurs, the hadrosaurs, their values suggest they were moving quite a bit further away. Okay. Um, Maybe they just like the food in that area. You know, that's actually that's a very good guess. <laughs> we don't actually know exactly why they're moving between these different areas or why some have larger units than others. Um, at present, it looks like it may relate to, yes, preferences in their feeding, what types of diets they had, the types of plants they were eating. And so for things like the hadrosaurs, they appear to have had a slightly more generalist diet, feeding slightly higher up on sort of canopy plants, and yeah, apparently moving around the landscape a lot. And these other guys were closer to the ground, feeding on low-lying plants, and appear to have stuck um, to a more restricted area, potentially so, tracking where those plants were. So Dr. Cullen, could it also have to do with, you know, maybe they felt safe in that area as not like meat-eating dinosaurs. Maybe they felt safe. Would it be a... a, a, a territorial area or protecting you know protecting themselves as well could that have come into play it's possible but the thing is we also find for example in these sort of sites we're sampling we also find the teeth of big predatory dinosaurs oh. like tyrannosaurs in the same place so um there certainly were big predators around them in these areas there's still sort of a lot of work to do with this but um we're trying to to flesh out some of these different um geochemical proxies to try and figure this out and actually get to the heart of why they were doing this. And this is sort of one of the first steps in that process. So can we go back, I think right off the top, you explained a little bit why you, why you got into this, but I mean, for people live, uh, listening right now, they'd be like, okay, well, why is Dr. Cullen <laughs> spending his time trying to figure out where dinosaurs lived uh, millions of years ago? How does that uh, translate into a use today? Can you explain that? Yeah, that's, yeah, it's a, it's a good point, and that's, and that's part of the like, long-term components of this yeah. research and how it fits into the broader research program. Um, what we're trying to do is actually figure out how ecosystems were structured in these greenhouse climates that existed 75 million years ago. And so looking at the movements of individual dinosaur species is a component of that. Another part is looking at um, how sort of abundance records of fossils, of what species lived where, what time, how those change when we look at much longer records through the, through the rock record and the fossil record and see how those populations responded to things like changing sea levels or mm -hmm. changing climates. So it's all, it all sort of fits into trying to solve that puzzle of how biological systems work in a greenhouse world. And since we currently are moving, maybe not quite to the degree that existed back then, but in that direction, um, we need that kind of information to help... Huh. Um, predict and, and frame our predictions um, for things like conservation of animals today. If they're not going to be shifting their ranges or responding to climate change in the way that we would currently expect, if they might actually be ecological reasons why they'll respond very differently than our ex expectations, then trying to understand how things worked in a much older, very different system is one of the ways we can we can get at fixing that. Interesting stuff. All right, a couple of basic questions for you, now, <laughs> Dr. Cullen. All right. Do you have a favorite dinosaur now? Uh, good question. Um, I, growing up, it was always one that was called Troodon. Um, it was sort of a, it's like a person size, yeah. uh, possibly meat-eating dinosaur, big <laughs> eyes. Um, 
I say possibly because there's a lot of debate as to whether it was actually fully meeting or not. Um, <laughs> and that's one of the things we're also trying to answer with this, with these geochemical proxies, but we're not quite there yet with that one. And I'm curious to know, as you know, you've been doing, you know, looking at stuff from from, Al- from Alberta, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm talking to you from Edmonton. What would have been roaming around here at that time? Um, at that time, you'd have some very similar species, but um, in the rocks that are right around Edmonton, um, those rocks are actually a little bit younger and uh, than the ones in southern Alberta when I, where I was working. Okay. And um, but most of the same groups of species are there. So you have horned dinosaurs, you'd have tyrannosaurs, you'd have um, ductile dinosaurs. They would all be found in that area. And there's actually uh, some of the labs that are at the University of Alberta have spent a lot of time digging up um, big fossil bone beds not far from the city, and and, so, and some I think are actually within the city limits themselves. So there's lots of really cool dinosaur fossils right in the area around Edmonton. Yeah, you know, we, we always get pretty excited when uh, a discovery is made, and uh, we certainly love talking about paleontology dinosaurs on this show, so I sure appreciate your time this afternoon, Dr. Cullen. Uh, thank you for this. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, take care. Dr. Thomas Cullen this afternoon, taking a look and figuring out, uh, you know, home, home on the range where they roamed way back when and why and trying to apply it today as you know climate changes and how things might look in the future and what does that mean for animals where they range where they might move to interesting stuff that's some big brain stuff right there